a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Michael Wong. Coming up on the program. Back in the air, Air China resumes direct flights between Beijing and Washington with plans for more between Beijing and Los Angeles. Open AI fallout. The AI giant engages in intense talks to reunite its employees as staff demand the company's board to resign following the shock ouster of former CEO Sam Altman. And RV boom. Chinese consumers' growing enthusiasm for camping is driving a boom in recreational vehicles. Well, first up, at the invitation of the Republic of India, Chinese Premier Li Qiang will attend the G20 virtual summit on Wednesday. That's according to Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Mao Ning. And to China-U.S. relations, where there will be more direct flights between the world's two largest economies. CGTN's Yo Yang is at Beijing Capital International Airport with more. The direct flight between the Chinese capital city Beijing and the capital city of the United States, Washington, D.C., resumes today at the Beijing Capital International Airport. And this is the first direct flight between the two capitals after the COVID-19 pandemic. The flight CA817 operates twice a week with a return leg CA818, making a stopover in Los Angeles. Since the easing of the COVID-19 pandemic, the assumption of flights between China and the U.S. has been closely monitored. According to the Civil Aviation Administration of China, during the 2023-2024 winter and spring flight season, the number of regular passenger flights between China and the United States is expected to increase from the 48 per week to 70, providing greater convenience for personnel and economic and trade exchanges between the two countries. And earlier, we talked to some of the international passengers on how they feel about the resumption. I think the direct flight is very convenient. Before, it took me around 20 hours to travel from Beijing to Washington, D.C., and I need to make a stopover at other cities. Now, with the direct flight, it takes me only 13 to 14 hours to travel to Washington, D.C. The airline also plans to increase the number of flights between Beijing and Los Angeles to three a week from November 30. At the same time, Hainan Airlines also said it plans to resume direct flights from Beijing to Boston starting from November 26, with a return leg making a stop over in Seattle. And Chinese airlines, including China Southern Airlines and China Eastern Airlines, are also considering an increase in flight numbers. And this is actually echoed with Chinese President Xi Jinping's remarks during his meeting with the U.S. President Joe Biden in San Francisco, in which he said China and U.S. jointly promote people-to-people exchanges, including increasing direct flights, advancing tourism cooperation, strengthening educational cooperation, and more. However, on the other hand, many aviation experts say the pace of recovery is still considered relatively low. And let me give you some numbers. According to data from third-party travel app Flightmaster, in China-U.S. round-trip flights reached over 300 per week during 2019. And experts say factors such as longer U.S. visa appointment times, progress in negotiations between China and the U.S. on aviation rights, and the recovery of market demands will all impact the resumption of the flights between the two sides. Thus, they believe it will still take time to fully restore flights levels between China and the U.S. pre-pandemic levels. Yuyang Sijitia, Beijing. And indeed, China's Civil Aviation Administration is set to witness a significant increase in direct passenger flights 
between China and the United States. The number of regular direct flights will surge from 48 to 70 per week during the winter 2023 to spring 2024 seasons. Domestic carriers are playing a crucial role in this expansion, with popular routes like Beijing to San Francisco, Shanghai to San Francisco, and Guangzhou to San Francisco being reinstated. In December, airfares have noticeably dropped already, with tickets from Guangzhou to San Francisco now priced at around $600 U.S. and to L.A. at $700. The number of inbound and outbound airline bookings for China during the last two months surpassed 4.4 million. That is up seven and a half times compared to the same period last year. It's estimated that by the end of the new aviation season in March of next year, the volume of international passenger flights will reach about 70% of the levels seen back in 2019. All right, so for more on China-U.S. ties, I want to bring in John Gong, professor at the University of International Business and Economics. Professor Gong, welcome to the program. So let me start with a very high-level question. Given the complexity of the China-U.S. relationship, how do you view the significance of the increase in direct flights between the two countries? What signals, Professor Gong, does this move send to the world about where China-U.S. ties stand right now? Uh, thank you very much, Michael, for inviting me. Um, as we all know, um, this is the direct result out of the, um, the, the meeting between President Xi and President Biden a few days ago in San Francisco. And I think um, increasing more flights, uh, including in particular the direct flight uh, between Beijing and Washington, D.C., which used to be called the capital-to-capital flight, is long, long overdue. Um, I think it's it, it, particularly, you know, the letter flight I was talking about uh, has symbolic significance because, you know, after all, the two largest countries in terms of economy size, um, how can they have no direct flights between the two capitals? Right? Uh, I, I, I don't know about you. I, mean, I have taken that flights uh, many, many times in the past from Beijing to Washington, D.C., into Dallas Airport uh, uh, in Virginia. And, and that's a very, very convenient flight. And I think, um, you know, it, it's really symbolic and also indicates what's up to come. Um, you know, the, the, the interactions between the countries, particularly people-to-people exchanges, uh, will have to increase. And I think, um, you know, they have to uh, uh, travel over there or people in America have to travel to China uh, to increase people-to-people uh, -people exchanges. And I think, you know, this is a very positive development. Um, and I think it signifies that the bilateral relationship is, is really coming back. Yeah. And speaking of people-to-people -people exchanges, Professor Gong, will this increase indirect flights from 48 to 70 each week, will that have a meaningful impact in terms of increasing those people-to-people -people exchanges that you mentioned, in terms of increasing commercial ties, and of course, tourism? Well, we're talking about you know increasing supply by uh, I think seventy percent I think right seventy eighty percent and and the, with the increase in supply it, what it means is that uh, the, at least the price is likely to drop as, as your program has just reported uh, and I think this is vitally important you know we, we have seen in, in the last few months that the flights between the two countries are way too expensive um, and um, you know with the supply increasing with more flights. Uh, uh, coming on board with more flights into more American cities, um, I think the you know the the, the fare price would uh, likely to uh, drop significantly um, within the you know normal range that people can afford. I think we're very likely to see the. 
the pre-pandemic 19, 2019 level, kind of a, a level of pricing. Uh, and, and, you know, with uh, uh, reduced price, it will stimulate demand and, uh, you know, there'll be more people traveling in both ways. So I think, uh, you know, it, it contributes to the, um, in tra increase in traffic volume. And, you know, that's, that's a very good thing from a social welfare perspective, you know, uh, price coming down market equilibrium size of the market equilibrium becomes larger which is a very good thing from a social welfare perspective yeah and in terms of growing the economic pie overall for the aviation industry professor gong according to the international air transport association international air traffic by the end of q3 this year is around 93 percent compared to september 2019 levels will more direct flights between the world's two largest economies help to accelerate the global recovery in aviation well, I think uh, the domestic aviation market, irrespective of the two countries, have already recovered. I mean, we see, uh, you know, uh, uh, air travel level, you know, shooting over the roof uh, in China, as well as in the United States, actually. Um, I think, uh, you know, with Thanksgiving coming like a week, right? And, uh, you know, we're going to see the domestic aviation market uh, increase significantly. I think, you know, what's really lacking at this point is the, um, the, 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 the inter country markets, in other words, the flights between the United States and China, um, as well as uh, flights between Chinese cities and other parts of the world, that will have to increase as well. I mean, uh, you know, we have to in encourage more international travel, uh, Chinese uh, citizens uh, travel more overseas. Uh, and I think, you know, from a really from a you know, social perspective, um, you know, increased travels by Chinese citizens also broaden our people's vision, increase our understanding of the rest of the world and, you know, definitely contributing to better understanding among, among peoples. And ultimately, I think uh, it contributes to the uh, relationships between China and other countries. Yeah. Definitely. Travel has that ability, that magic ability, I would say, to boost mutual understanding between peoples. Uh, Professor Gong, stay with us. Back to you in just a moment. China and Saudi Arabia central banks have signed a local currency swap agreement that's worth up to 50 billion yuan or nearly 7 billion U.S. dollars. That agreement, which is valid for three years and can be extended by mutual agreement, aims to enhance financial cooperation between the two economies. According to China's central bank, the establishment of the swap line is expected to strengthen the use of local currencies in bilateral transactions with the yuan and the rial, promote trade and investment, and foster closer economic ties. Furthermore, the international use of the Chinese yuan has been steadily increasing. A PBOC report released last month said currency swap arrangements had been inked with central banks or monetary authorities of 40 countries and regions. All right, I want to bring back now Professor Gong from UIBE to get his take on this new currency swap line between China and Saudi Arabia and the strength of the Chinese currency recently. Uh, Professor Gong, so China, Saudi Arabia, of course, inking this local currency swap agreement to the tune of some 7 billion U.S. dollars. What does this move, you think, mean for potentially settling more China-Saudi Arabia trade in the Chinese yuan? What does it mean for bilateral investment? Well, I think this is a one more uh, important uh, development that is of extremely uh, symbolic significance here. Um, it, it, as you know, um, the, the so-called dollar's dominance in the, in the world started out with its use in oil-related uh, trade and transactions. That is what's the name petrodollar is coming from. And I think this swap agreement um, indicates the beginning of uh, this concept called Petro Yuan, 
even though you know the total amount is very small in my view. I think you you said it's about seven billion US dollars. Well, but that's just the beginning, uh, and I'm pretty sure that this limit will increase over time. Um, so so I think uh, oil related uh, transactions settled in local currencies, including, of course, Chinese yuan, RMB, is, is a very significant development. I think, um, you know, it's from that perspective, I think that uh, China's uh, RMB internationalization effort is, is really taking to the next level. Uh, I think it's a huge development, which is something that Washington is very much concerned about. And I think the fact that they introduced a limit, appears to me, um, a, a phased approach towards that direction. Um, clearly addresses you know some of the concerns coming off the wall from Washington. I don't think they want to uh, antagonize Washington too much. But nevertheless, I think even though the total amount is small uh, in the grand scheme of things, if we're talking about oil transactions, but it's it's a significant development nevertheless. Mm. And as we were reporting, Professor Gong, China has central bank currency swap agreements with 40 countries and regions. 29 of these swap lines are currently active. Reuters also reporting that China is likely to have the largest network of currency swap agreements in place. So why are more countries inking these currency swap deals with China, you think? Well, I think, uh, you know, this represents the overall trend towards a uh, multi-currency uh, world, um, particularly uh, in pace with uh, China's RMB internationalization effort. Uh, I think it's particularly happening in a more intensive space uh, in the last few years. Uh, it's because um, it, it, it's also a time that uh, Washington is raising interest rates uh, and many countries are feeling the pain of relying too much on U.S. dollar. Um, because uh, as dollar strengthens, uh, you know, there tends to be a um, exodus of capital from other countries back to uh, back to the United States, and which causes worsening of the balance of payments situation in these countries. So I think you know there's a general um, preference, there's a general desire among many countries in the world, particularly those developing countries, particularly those emerging market economies, um, wanting to uh, move away from a uh, almost 100% or, or at least uh, mostly a dollar dominated world. Um, you know, we have we have heard this from, from Brazil, from Indonesia, from Malaysia, uh, from not, you know, just to say from Russia, for example. I mean, many countries are already voicing that desire to uh, settle trade with currencies other than the U.S. dollar. Uh, hence comes the, these, um, these bilateral agreements, these swap agreements between China and uh many countries. And I think the trend is going to continue. Um, and the trend towards IMB's internationalization is also going to continue. Okay. We're going to leave it there. A pleasure as always, Professor Zhang Gong from the University of International Business and Economics. Thank you. And still to come here on Global Business. Open AI fallout. The AI giant engages in intense talks to reunite its employees as staff demand the company's board resign following that shock ouster of former CEO Sam Altman. The world economy as we know it is about to change. Global Business Reports highlight emerging markets, developing countries, and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments. Fast, sharp, and insightful. Global Business. Only on CGTN.
Well, the Shanghai municipal government has recently unveiled an action plan that outlines its objective to establish 150 demonstration green manufacturing firms in the city by the year 2025. Our Zhang Shuxuan spoke to representatives from two prominent foreign industrial giants to get their take in terms of their green solutions for the China market. The 13 buildings at this factory in Shanghai's Minghang District bring a combined rooftop area of almost 46,000 square meters. They provide a natural advantage for green transformation for the pump manufacturer housed here to install photovoltaic panels. The first phase of the installation project was completed in September. More than 7,000 photovoltaic panels have been installed, all from a local supplier. They were put into use last week. We are absolute specialists for pumps, for valves,、uh, and of course for service. We are no specialists for green technology, solar panels.、Uh, here we rely on good partners, and here in China, the partner who helped us、uh, to build the solar panels on the roof here, here in our Shanghai plant, he's just an expert. And、uh, we benefit、uh, from this expertise in a win-win situation. And I must say, the job that was done is absolutely amazing. By 2025, the company estimates the solar panels will be responsible for half of the electricity consumption at the factory. KSB is not alone. Foreign pharmaceutical companies are also stepping up their green transformation, with its production lines running non-stop throughout the year. Pharmaceutical giant Boringer Ingenham now has a zero-carbon certificate from the Shanghai government for its factory in Shanghai's Zhangjiang Science City. Much of the factory's air conditioning system has now been upgraded. The company has introduced new equipment like heat pumps and heat pipes to recycle the heat, as well as a new carbon emission management system. Our three-dimensional heat pipes have the highest investment return rate. We got our costs back in just a few months. For those with slower investment returns, like photovoltaic panels, we make our investment back in six or seven years, but they can be used for more than 20 years, which means that after we get our costs back, we can be operating at no cost, but only saving money for more than 10 years. As of 2021, the factory had already saved 31 million yuan in energy costs, more than four times the money spent on its upgrades. Zhang Shuxuan, ICS for CCTN, Shanghai. Well, in recent years, China has made significant efforts to promote its green financial development, aligning with its dual carbon goals of peaking carbon emissions by 2030 and carbon neutrality by 2060. According to the People's Bank of China, the scale of green bonds last year exceeded 120 billion U.S. dollars. That's up 45% on a yearly basis. Moreover, China's green loans surpassed four trillion dollars in the first three quarters of this year. That's up nearly 40 percent on an annual basis. Now, during the same period, the country has also seen a considerable expansion in ESG-related funds, with a scale surpassing 826 billion dollars. Foreign banks and institutions, including Standard Chartered, HSBC, and Newberger Berman, are all increasing their involvement. In China's green financial sector, recognizing the potential and opportunities it presents. And up next, here on Global Business, RV boom. Chinese consumers' growing enthusiasm for camping is driving a boom in recreational vehicles.
Well, expos here in China are being used to showcase the latest trends and provide opportunities for participants. We launched here on Global Business a new series looking into the expos taking place around the country, which will focus on the role of these events in accelerating industrial upgrading and regional cooperation. Now, the ongoing Guangzhou Auto Show sees a noticeable surge of interest in recreational vehicles, or RVs. As long road trips gain popularity here in China, the demand for RVs is on the rise, presenting lucrative opportunities for manufacturers. Our reporter Lei Shuran delves into how businesses are capitalizing on these new prospects. Take a look. A cooking bench, a bed, and a restroom too—all inside this large recreational vehicle, an RV. This campground in Shanghai's suburban Jiading district is full of the vehicles that have caught people's fancy and been converted into tiny houses, especially since the COVID outbreak. So it's safer to travel with RV. We take two or three road trips every year. The increasing popularity of recreational vehicles to some extent indicates people's interest in outdoor travel. But what if you want something greener that fits both daily life in the city and the occasional road trip? Since it looks like a conventional SUV, you might hardly guess that this electric car is capable of pulling an RV with it on a road trip. Launched last June, it is among the first batch of models that are qualified to pull trailers in China. With a C6 driving license, drivers can go camping and take their RV right along with them. In 2020, we started to notice that our car owners have been traveling much farther. More than 90% of our owners in Shanghai have taken one-way drives of more than 200 kilometers. We've got batteries with different capacities. We'll be allowing weekly rentals for the 150 kilowatt-hour battery for people who want to go camping. When they're back in the city, they can change back to normal ones. And for those who want a little more, the NEV maker has just launched a portable charge and discharge device that can get power access from the car battery to help power electric appliances, including projectors, loudspeakers, and lighting equipment when camping. An increasing number of NEV makers have been working to meet the demand for traveling outside cities. Needless to say, commercial vehicle makers specializing in making large, multi-purpose vehicles have found advantages in joining the trend with new energy MPVs that could cater to family use. MPV buyers have gradually been shifting from just commercial business clients to family buyers. More families tend to choose that model as they want to camp in nearby cities with children and seniors, often with a lot of luggage. Shanghai has been offering preferential policies for NEVs, and people can save a lot of costs by switching to them. Last month alone, the company sold nearly 4,000 vehicles, a year-on-year increase of 44 percent. Its luxury electric MPV models have now been exported to developed markets, including Europe and Australia. Lejuran ICS for CGTN Shanghai. And China has emerged as the largest market for RVs here in Asia, driven by growing incomes and increasing demand. Nearly 3,200 RVs were registered during the first quarter of this year. That is up 33 percent on a yearly basis. It was also the highest during the same period in recent years. In 2021, China surpassed Japan in sales and total ownership of RVs to become the largest RV market here in Asia. And China also exported 60,000 RVs to other countries, with Australia being the major export destination. It has also exported RV parts and processed RV units 
for Japanese and South Korean companies. So for more on China's RV market and auto market at large, I want to bring in Andy Mock, a senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. Andy, thanks for joining us. So first of all, how do you see the overall growth potential of China's RV market? What are the consumer lifestyle and preferences influencing RV demand in this country? Well, thanks for having me on, Michael. You know, the RV space is one of the most exciting ones in China today. Um, it's a broad-based trend from young families, as we heard in the package, uh, who live in urban settings and are looking for a little bit of a more back-to-nature experience, to retirees who have a lot of free time and are looking to travel the country. And this is being uh, strengthened and accelerated by the government's 14th five-year plan to support self-driving tourism. So I think this is a very, very exciting development. It's also early days. So we heard that thousands and I think even tens of thousands of RVs are sold in China today, making it Asia's biggest market. But compared to Europe and uh, the United States, where I believe the comparable numbers are maybe more in the hundreds of thousands, uh, there's also a lot of upside uh, for the RV market in China today. Yeah, absolutely. So already the largest uh, RV market here in Asia, I'm talking about the China market, a lot of upside potential, a very exciting market, like you said. But what challenges to growth do you see for the RV market here in China, Andy? What do industry players, you think, absolutely need to do to really address those challenges and perhaps unlock the full market potential? No, that's right, Michael. Even though there's tremendous excitement around this, there's uh, we can think of them as obstacles. We can also think of them as opportunities. Uh, first is market awareness. And, you know, if you've been around Beijing, Shanghai, you notice more and more shopping centers devoting space to uh, camping type displays. So I think there's gr there's a growing awareness, but still it's relatively low. Uh, this has to be an ecosystem as well. So if you have an RV, whether it's an RV or something you're towing behind a vehicle, or as we heard, uh, a retrofitted, custom-fitted UV or, or van, uh, you still need camping sites, you still need other uh, support infrastructure. So this is, I think, another area we can expect to see uh, further growth. And I think just in general, um, we're witnessing the transition to a more consumer-driven economy in China. Uh, but again, I think it's uh, cup, uh, a glass half empty, a glass half full, in that there's a lot of opportunities, but there's also ways to go as well. Absolutely. Agility, that's something I hear all the time from business leaders in terms of how to succeed in the China market. Uh, Andy, a pleasure as always. Andy Mock, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. Thanks, Andy. And that's going to do it for this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing.